Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. I don't hardly ever do this, but I'm going to do it this morning. How many of you have a Bible with you? Okay, okay. I know the rest of you have hidden God's Word so much in your heart that it's all right there. Right? Or you have it on your phone. We're going to read some of the scripture this morning. If you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to open to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to read a few verses there. And then we're, we're going to be taken on a journey through the scripture this morning in a most unique way. So let's bow right now. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, this incredible communication from the eternal God to us. We pray that your spirit, who inspired every single word of it, would communicate your truth to us this morning, that we might be drawn close to you, that we might sense in a fresh way some of the plans and purposes that you have and are working out in this world. So, Father, bless us, ready us, take other things from our mind, May your Holy Spirit have full control of all of us, that he might teach us, guide us, bless us, and encourage us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, we're going to begin a a short series of messages. Can any of you remember me ever preaching a short series of messages? And I didn't just say a short message, but a short series of messages. Usually we... uh, I mean, a series of messages might go through an entire book of the Bible. It might be a year in length. And here we're going to start something that's going to end on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day itself. It's only five weeks from today, counting today. And so there's only five messages in this series. And I'm calling it simply Emmaus Message. Emmaus Message. That's a a word, a name that we don't come across very often, but we're going to discover where it is and what it is uh, this morning. But as we go through these five messages, starting with today, I want you to imagine something with me. Something I've never asked you to do before, and I've never even thought of it before, but we've never quite had quite a, just the same scripture opportunity before as we do in front of us right now. So I want all of us together to imagine these next five weeks that Jesus Christ himself is our instructor. For we're going to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus was instructing several people on Easter afternoon. And I want us to jump right into that instruction and just imagine we are there and that we are hearing Jesus' voice walk us through things. Now it's the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 that sets the stage for us. It provides the motivation for these messages. And I want to read just a a few verses here, about ten of them, nine of them, that will set 
and ready us for uh, what comes in the next five weeks. So here we are, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Listen along, follow along. You already know as you've looked at your note sheet, this is different. Everything's filled in, but boy, there's a lot of stuff there. So you can just tuck that in the back of your Bible and kind of just listen and watch from the screen and try to get caught up in the experience that the Bible is telling us about. Here's how the situation began. Now that same day, that happened to be Resurrection Day, the evening, the afternoon perhaps of Easter Sunday, the day Jesus was raised from the dead, now that same day, two of them, two of them. If you read a little bit before this verse, you find out that the references to the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, not the 12 apostles, but all of those who, who gathered around him and they walked with him, they were identified with him. Like on the day of Pentecost, there was 120 of them. So it's part of the disciple band, part of the faithful followers of Jesus. And two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one? I mean, this wasn't a real gracious answer. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, just a few verses later, verse 27, we come to our series key scripture that kind of gives us a jumping off point for what we're going to do. Verse 27 says this, and beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that is Jesus, explained to them, these two, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Right there is where I want this series of messages to begin, with Jesus' first words of explanation. I want us to imagine that we are listening in, as it were, on his entire Emmaus message. And let me tell you, when he finished, When he finished, those two disciples who first heard this Emmaus message were transformed. They said to one another, it's recorded, Luke 24, verse 32, 
They said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? They were powerfully impacted by what Jesus said. Now, that's exactly what I hope each of us will be saying throughout this five-week series. Doesn't it just make you feel like you're on fire? Doesn't it just thrill you? The things we're hearing and the things that we're visualizing and the things that are being put together in a, in a consistent package for us. That's the effect it had on these two men who heard Jesus' message. Now, of course, they didn't know it was Jesus. The Spirit had clouded their eyes in some way that they didn't recognize him. And so Jesus, of course, in this conversation with them, we can just understand he would have been speaking about himself in the third person. He wouldn't have said, I, I, I. They don't know that's him. And so he's talking to them about this one that they had been following. This one who had been horribly crucified and just had their hopes dashed because of it. And so let's begin. Let's just imagine. We're listening in to a, a lengthy conversation. They're walking for seven miles. And Jesus is talking the whole way. So Jesus begins, want to hear his voice here, Jesus begins with this challenging response. Probably just broke right into what they were saying. You hoped? You hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel? You hoped he was? You surely didn't know him very well, did you? Let me tell you about him, this one you know as Jesus. His shadow falls on virtually every page of the scripture. Let's walk through it together. We've got lots of time. Consider with me, first of all, the fact that Jesus, Jesus is the devil destroyer God promised to provide. The devil, as you know, made his first appearance in the Garden of Eden when he led Adam and Eve into sin. Their disobedience brought sin upon the entire human race that would come from them, and death came as a result of that sin. And as a result, God's judgment fell upon the entire earth, and upon all men, for all men became sinners." And in the aftermath of that momentous rebellion, which followed the devil's overpowering deception, the scripture records that God said to the serpent, that beautiful creature that Satan himself entered into and attracted Eve's attention and spoke through those tempting words and led her astray. God spoke to that serpent. Genesis 3.15 and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. 
Adam and Eve no doubt believed that one of their own children would be the one who would bring about the devil's destruction, but it was not to be. And the promise of God of a devil destroyer to come would hang in the air as century followed century. The devil would have a hand in nearly ruining the entire human race when in the days of Noah, the world under demonic influence became so violent and evil that God's wrath was poured out in the floodwaters of the great flood. But the man Noah... But the man Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and he and his family were saved from destruction in a great ark that pictured the very salvation from judgment that Jesus himself would one day provide. Only eight human beings were saved in that first great ark of salvation and a much abused and reconfigured earth greeted them when the floodwaters receded life became increasingly difficult. Centuries later, still 2,000 years before the coming of Jesus into the world, God chose Abraham to become the father of a great nation, a nation that would be uniquely identified on the earth as the people of God. God would raise up Moses to lay the foundation of that nation, And God would give to them this land that we all inhabit still today. And yet, as you know, Satan wreaked havoc among them as he turned their hearts toward pagan practices and toward the gods of the nations around them. Satan would deceive and mislead them, even as he had deceived and misled Adam and Eve long before them. God punished them, disciplined them regularly. God sent pagan kings to harass them and enslave them. God sent them into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. An entire generation of them perished. God brought them back from that captivity, but their hearts continued to run hot and cold until in the time of Malachi the prophet, God said, Malachi 1.10, Oh, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. It seemed like the devil's deceptions and pagan demonic practices would hound them forever. And through it all, and through it all, God's promise of a devil destroyer hung tantalizingly in the air. Hung over them all. And there were some who remembered it. And they waited. And finally, finally the day came when the time was just right and God sent the one who would fulfill his long-standing promise into the world the one you know of as Jesus is the promised one, the devil destroyer himself. Some three years ago now, the devil confronted Jesus face to face in the wilderness. Jesus had just completed a 40-day fast under the direction of the Holy Spirit. It had been a marvelous time. 
the Holy Spirit had just newly come upon him at his baptism. And at that baptism, his heavenly father had wonderfully affirmed him. This is my beloved son whom I love. Jesus had spent 40 days with them. Father, son, spirit, alone and yet not alone. Accompanied by the wild animals and attended even by angels, it was like a replay of Moses' 40 days on Mount Sinai long years before. He was spiritually invigorated, though he was physically depleted. He was absolutely famished, desperately in need of nourishment. And on that occasion, the devil sought to deceive him and mislead him and to redirect him into the most, in the most subtle and devious of ways. Three of the devil's direct assaults upon Jesus' commitment and character will be inscribed in scriptures yet to be written, but they have been marveled at already by any of you who have heard about them. Knowing what condition Jesus was in, the devil said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread and satiate the incredible hunger you feel. In other words, use God's power to meet your own needs. Jesus brushed that temptation aside, recognizing that there was an even greater hunger within him than the physical hunger that he was feeling. He hungered for the word of God and for pure and holy fellowship with God. It was unthinkable for him to allow his own needs to get in the way of God's will for him. He found the perfect response to the devil's directive in the fifth book of Moses where it says, Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Oh, that response. That response reminds me of the time he ministered to the woman at the well. And when his disciples came to him with the food they had gone into the town to buy, he said to them, I have food you know nothing about. The devil in the wilderness didn't understand that response any more than Jesus' disciples did at the well. But the wonderful truth is, Jesus' response completely destroyed the devil's attempt to derail him. Of course, the devil tried again, and this time he used the scripture himself. It was like he was saying, so, so if you profess to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, how about these words? Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. He will give his angels charge of you, his chosen ones, and they will lift you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Those are words of God. And so the devil challenged Jesus. He said then, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down to the ground from the very pinnacle of the temple. In other words, prove, prove that you have confidence in the word of God and in the God of the word. Well, in this temptation, the devil really didn't have a prayer. 
You yourselves know that we do not, we Jews, we do not presume to tell God when or where or how to act upon his word. Jesus didn't hesitate for a moment. And he gave the very answer that you yourselves would give in response to this devil's challenge. The specific words he used were also found in that fifth book of Moses where God directly commanded the people, Deuteronomy 6.16, do not, do not put your God, the Lord your God, to the test. At this point, the battle was pretty nearly lost, but the devil made one more attempt to deceive and derail Jesus. The third and final attempt of his definitely showed that he did not realize that one greater than Adam or Eve was standing before him. That a man like no other man he had ever encountered was standing face to face with him. He tried to turn the Lord's head from his assigned task by offering worldly wealth and fame. He said, bow down and worship me. Bow down and worship me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. In other words, your kingdom can be born in a day. No pain, no suffering. And as you would expect, Jesus turned away that offer as though he were swatting a fly. For in his response, he turned to that same fifth book of Moses where some of the most fundamental confessions of the Jewish faith are found. Confessions like these. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We worship no one else. We honor no one else. We follow and obey no one else. Hear this, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it says fear. That means worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If the devil thought that he could derail or discourage or even defeat the one God had sent in fulfillment of his promise, he soon realized He couldn't. Jesus defeated the devil in the wilderness. It was a one-sided affair. The devil gave up and left him. And if Jesus could successfully defeat the devil in the wilderness while he was in such an incredibly weakened condition, being at the end of 40 days of fasting, how much more formidable opponent would the devil find Jesus to be when he returned from that wilderness experience filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit? You who have been aware of him during these past three years, you know that Jesus also defeated the devil during his earthly ministry. Indeed, Jesus defeated the devil time and time again during the years of his earthly ministry as he and his disciples freed many from evil spirits and from the hold that Satan had upon them. Jesus sternly and successfully rebuked and squelched the devil when he heard the devil's words coming out of Peter's mouth, his own wonderful apostle. I'm sure that you've heard the story, probably from Peter himself. That was the time 
not too many weeks, months ago, when Peter had triumphantly announced his conviction that Jesus was the Christ, the promised Messiah. Jesus had commended him for that. But shortly after that, that great triumphant moment, Jesus took the disciples into his confidence and told them about his upcoming sacrifice for the sins of the world. He told them that the things that have happened, the very things that you too are so distressed about, definitely would happen. Peter, still filled with pride over Jesus' commendation, actually took Jesus aside and announced that such an ugly death would never happen. The implication was that Peter himself would never allow it to happen. It was right then that Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan. Peter was surely shocked and even horrified to realize that the devil could so easily deceive him. Peter later would caution all believers to be alert to the devil's attempts to devour them. All who follow Jesus must be sensitive to that fact. The Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent to replace him in this world will keep those he companions sensitive to Satan's deceptive lies and destructive strategies. And you too. You too, men, sorrowful as you are today, have come under the deception that Jesus is still in the tomb and that your hope in him has been misplaced. You have even dismissed as nonsense what the women saw and said just this morning. You yourselves. You yourselves, though, will soon have the fog lifted from your minds and the despair from your hearts. Just wait and see. The devil's power over you will soon be broken. For you see, Satan's entire kingdom has been shaken. He knows that his time as God of this world is coming to an end. He is no match for the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus will send not only to be with you, but to take up residence within you. Let me say that it will then be said, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Spirit-filled believers will so overpower him, so completely frustrate his efforts against them that he will find it wise to just leave them alone lest his defeats become more than he is willing to bear. Oh, but even more than that, even more than that, there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will directly confront the devil once again. This time, Christ will be accompanied by the armies of the Almighty, the heavenly hosts themselves. This time the Son of God will appear in all of his heavenly splendor. Christ will descend upon the devil when he thinks he is at his strongest, when he will be surrounded by the last great horde of human beings that he will ever deceive. It will be the last day of this old world's history. 
And in a moment of fiery judgment, that last great insurrection will be ended and Satan himself will be thrown into the lake of fire where he will remain forever, destroyed by the one who was promised at the very beginning of man's long history on this earth. Jesus is indeed the devil destroyer, risen from the dead this very day. Amen? Allow me, if you will, just to reclaim the pulpit for a moment. What a powerful message the Lord delivered to those two discouraged disciples that day. The scripture says it set their hearts on fire. So far, we've only heard part one. There are four more parts to come. Allow today's final thought to wrap up what we've heard so far. And here it is, final thought. Jesus Christ has made possible victory over the devil in this world and total freedom from the devil in the world to come. Jesus is God's promised devil destroyer. Let's bow in prayer. And as your heads are bowed, and please just have your eyes closed and and get alone, as it were, with your own thoughts and with the Spirit. And, and let me just ask you some things. You see, perhaps that is exactly what some of you need right now. You need the devil-destroying, devil-defeating power of Christ in your life. You've given your heart to Jesus Christ. You've received him as your personal savior from the penalty of sin. And if you have, then he has gifted you with the same Holy Spirit with which his heavenly father gifted him. I just say yield yourself. If you haven't received Christ, receive Christ or you will battle this thing for the end, for the rest of your life and then you will stand before a God who says you're unworthy to enter into heaven. For you're still filled with sin. Still responsible for your sin. So before anything else, you recognize Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. Receive him by faith into your heart. As your Savior, believe that he's the Son of God. Believe that he came to earth, lived a perfect life, and laid down that life in the place of all sinners who will yield themselves to him. You become one of them if you haven't already. But if you've accepted Christ as Savior, then as we saw a week or so ago, you've been delivered from the penalty of your sin. But as the Holy Spirit comes, he's the one who brings the power into you in this earth to, to let you get free from sin's power and from sin's practice. And, and that's where the, the devil himself can be involved. To tempt you, to deceive you, to lead you astray, to cause you to think there's a, there's a different way than the way that Jesus laid out and taught. And I just say to you, Yield yourself to the Spirit of God. He's the one who brings devil-destroying power into your life. 
over every situation. Everything that, that hounds you, that bothers you, everything that attracts you that is wrong and you know it's not right, you bring the Holy Spirit's power into you. And he will reshape you. And he will give you new thoughts and new abilities to break free and to walk the path that Jesus walked in to know the joy that that path has upon it. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. We thank you that you have anticipated the needs of men from the very first time men fell into sin. And over long, long years, you, you hold on to your promises until the time is just right to fulfill them and, and Jesus has come. And through his life, he has demonstrated his ability, his power to confront, to defeat Satan himself. And then through his Holy Spirit, to enable us to live free of Satan's power. Oh, Father, just, just work in our hearts this morning. If there's anyone here still in the midst of the struggle, convince them there's an end to that struggle. And that struggle ender is the Holy Spirit, yielding control of our lives to him. That we too may enter into the victory we too, as the scripture says, as we submit ourselves to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we resist the devil in the power that God places within us, the devil has no option but to flee, to depart from us who belong to you. Oh, Father, may that be true of every one of us. And may we take this message May we share the truths that Jesus shared with those two that day and share them wherever we go this week to talk about them among ourselves. For we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.